Hello, this is the Heart of the Piano podcast. Before we dive into this episode, which is the second in the series about the absolute most important skills to practice that's going to make the most difference to your playing, in my opinion, I'd like to say an enormous thank you to the C. Bechstein Piano Centre in Manchester, England, for letting me use their practice and teaching rooms to record these podcast episodes. The rooms are soundproofed, which makes them ideal for podcast recording and practicing and teaching, of course, and five of the rooms are equipped with lovely Bechstein grand pianos. It's a brand new, stunning-looking showroom filled with a great selection of pianos. So if you're looking for a piano and you're based in the UK, do come to the C. Bechstein Piano Centre in the centre of Manchester. You can check out their website at bechstein.co.uk. And now, I hope you enjoyed this episode of the Heart of the Piano podcast. Hello, and welcome to the Heart of the Piano podcast, where we are, as always, exploring the world of piano. Now, last session, we looked at one of the most important skills, in my opinion, for mastering the psychological art of being deeply, deeply musical. I joke with my students that these are like the Bob Commandments, (laughs) Uh, that these are just things that if you do them, if you do them every single time you're practicing, you will get this magic quality, this, this sort of normally unteachable elements of musicality and be very, very deeply musical and you're gonna play in a way that people will just connect with. Last session, I was saying that one of the most important things to be doing in pretty much every single moment that you are practicing is to be looking for what there is to love. Now, there's quite a lot of nuance to that. And uh, actually, uh, in a lesson just yesterday, someone who I've been teaching for two years had a bit of a breakthrough. And it was like, oh, now they're starting to get it. You know, it's, it's very easy to just hear the words, oh, look for what there is to love. Yeah, that makes sense, blah, blah, blah. Uh, the left brain hemisphere just hears blah, blah, blah. Yeah, 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 whatever. But actually, it's such a deep, deep concept to, to really feel deeply. There's a lot of element of almost sort of Zen uh, Buddhism about the whole thing. Once you get it, once you feel the importance of looking for what there is to love, you'll be like, oh, that's what you've been saying all this time. So anyway, do go back and listen to that episode if you've not listened to it. And even if you have listened to it, uh, listen to it again and again. (laughs) And also, I'm going to try and do the same thing that I did in a recent episode with Cheryl, uh, which is basically to have a student and to have something like a masterclass or a workshop where I work directly in enhancing that sensation and that goal. And then you can see actually how that works. Anyway, so in this second in this series of the psychological approaches to how to be deeply, deeply musical, I'm going to look at um, Bob's second commandment. (laughs) And and I do say this jokingly, you know. Um, Anyway, so what happens very, very often, what happens usually with, especially with adult students, is that there is always a giant sense of effort and striving. Now, uh, I'm here in front of a Bechstein piano, and I've brought a piece with me that I've been working on recently. So uh, I'll illustrate with this, uh, and I'm going to illustrate with this because for me, it's sort of, it's not a straightforward, easy piece exactly. Uh, So I can demonstrate, you know, something that's sort of, um, to me, potentially a little challenging. And then I'm going to demonstrate maybe the way that uh, most of my students would go about learning this one. Now, I've got quite cold hands at the moment. That's my excuses out of the way. So I'm just going to uh, play from cold this piece, more or less what it sounds like. It's, it's a, an etude by a composer called Borkovics, 
B-O-R-T-K-I-E-W-I-C-Z. He's relatively obscure. Uh, it's, it's the Etude Opus 15, number nine. Gorgeous. So, you know, it sounds something like this. So, so that's more or less what the piece should kind of sound like. Now, so if a student of mine was learning this, they might start learning. And so on and so on. And then the left hand does this. And it actually is, it's deceptively tricky to put this piece together. Unlike a lot of Chopin, it's a little awkward under the hands. It's not, it, it doesn't really immediately feel easy, especially in certain areas. So I'm, I'm going to put it together the way that a student of mine might start to learn it. Now, just to make it absolutely clear, I would never, ever, ever learn a piece of music in this way. In the beginning, I would never play those notes um, in that very unmusical kind of way. Now, a lot of my students go, no, but I have to do that. I have to learn the notes first. And what I would say is there is a way of learning the notes where you are always being musical right from the beginning. Now, I haven't actually said what the, the second of Bob's commandments is yet, but let me um, still sort of carry on showing. So what most of my students would do is they would carry on trying to speed that up, maybe having something like this. And then maybe it would get to the point where they would perform it something like. Because that's the inevitable consequence if you are learning it in that kind of way. Now, this is going to be a very, very difficult episode for me to really demonstrate things without you being, being able to see me, without um, any visuals. So I'm aware that this is going to be quite a difficult thing just to only describe over audio. But I will do my best. So here is Bob's second commandment. And that is, you want to, all the time, everything that you're doing, you want to imagine and imagine not just visually, but imagine in your bones. Imagine the sensation in your whole body. Imagine that you are sat at the piano and that somebody clicks their fingers, waves a magic wand, casts some kind of magic spell. I'm not personally into fantasy films and fantasy books, but if you imagine that kind of thing, it's a world where people can cast magic spells. And someone casts a magic spell so that you can suddenly play the piano amazingly. You can suddenly just go... And it just flows out of you and you haven't needed to work. This is the most important thing. It just suddenly happens and you just sit there and your fingers just play. You, you, have, you do not have to do anything. So another thing for people who've seen The Matrix, it's like Keanu Reeves going, I know Kung Fu, when he has that uploaded into his mind through The Matrix, you know. So oh, if anyone's um, ever listened to Sparky's Magic Piano, this is from a long time ago and my mum played that to me. And Sparky's Magic Piano, it's, uh, uh, God, I don't know, something from the 50s or the 60s. 
and it was like a, a, a originally it was just an LP. And it's the story of a little boy who wants to play the piano, but he's terrible. And um, suddenly his, he falls asleep and his piano comes to life. And this piano comes to life and plays for him. And all he's got to do is run his fingers over the keys. And the piano plays everything for him. And he becomes a famous concert pianist, but he has to bring his piano everywhere with him. And then, and then he suddenly has a nightmare because the piano refuses to, to play for him anymore before his big performance at Carnegie Hall or somewhere like that. I don't remember what it was. But, um, but you know, this is the kind of thing you're imagining. You basically, you just, you wave your hands over the keys. Now, this is something that my adult students find unbelievably difficult to do because you have to have the mind of a child. You have to play. You are playing make-believe. What my adult students do when I describe this is they then go, they, they think too hard. If suddenly someone waved a magic wand and there was a magic spell and I could play this perfectly, um, and then they look at their fingers and go, right, what would my fingers be doing to then play those notes? No, 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 no. That's too much thinking. That's too much. You don't have to think about it. You, you know, you don't take this so seriously uh, as a thing to do that you then try and work out what your fingers would be doing. The whole point is it's magic. It just happens. You don't have to, you don't have to have any mental effort. So now, now this is a big leap because, you know, how much can you imagine when you uh, don't actually know what your fingers will feel like doing it? Just imagine, just imagine then the, the, it's like you've got Sparky's magic piano. The piano is playing itself and all you've got to do is wave your hands over it. And it's like really bad miming. Um, in, in the UK, uh, we had this thing called Top of the Pops where all the pop stars would mime and sometimes miming unbelievably badly. Um, so it's, it's like you can mime really badly what your hands are doing. It just really doesn't matter. You're just waving your hands around really badly and the piano... The, the piano just plays. Yeah, you, you don't have to do anything. And really, when I'm playing well... This is what it feels like to me. It's almost no mental effort. It, my, my fingers just move and it's like, oh, wow, that, that's, that's great. I can just look at my fingers and marvel at what they're doing. I'm not consciously controlling them because I practice that way. And so, you know, this is not something that I think I've spent a lot of my life consciously doing that I'm like, right, imagine, I'm going to imagine someone's cast a magic spell. But, but this is a core part, a core part of my goals when I'm practicing is I want everything to feel effortless, lazy almost. And actually, I do say to my students quite regularly that um, in my opinion, my definition of good technique is the laziest way to create the sound that you want. That is the epitome of good technique. You, you, like literally, if you're making a beautiful, beautiful sound and you couldn't feel any lazier, that is how to play. Now, to some people, they might sort of think that lazy then means that you're really slouched, you're half asleep. But if you're slouched and half asleep, you're not going to get the sound that you want. So usually for me to get the sound that I want and to play the way that I want to play means that my body feels poised, it feels alert, it feels upright, but it doesn't feel tense and full of striving and effort. I think so that, that you know, when I advise my students, okay, be lazy, be the laziest that, that you can be, I think that then it's, it's quite difficult to find that state of mind. Whereas when I say to them, imagine that someone has cast a magic spell 
and suddenly you just play and it doesn't require any effort, that's easier to kind of imagine what you would feel like. So, so basically, if someone wants to learn this and they're going... Now, that's quite a lot of effort. It's, you know, it's, it's thinking about every single note as we're playing it. So, you know, you, you want to sort of, in your mind, imagine, well, what would it be like if I just sat down and instantly... You know, what would that actually feel like? And then, usually, what happens is that for a lot of people, it's like, okay, I've got a clearer idea of now what I need to practice. So basically, the big question is, here I am, if I start playing now, and that person goes, I'm obviously nowhere near just sitting down and it all just flows like someone's cast a magic spell. Now, the number one question is, what can I do right now that will take me most in that direction. Now, it doesn't mean what can I do now that will instantly make it feel utterly effortless and like magic, but you have to visualize first what will that feel like? Because otherwise, what happens with most of my students is that their practicing is still infused with striving and effort. So, you know, if I say to them, well, what do you need to practice without that step? Then they'll go all tense going, oh, uh, da, da, da. And, and everything is filled with tension and impatience and impatience is always the enemy. And, and it's always like, oh, you know, it comes from a place of insecurity, of not good enough, of having to try harder and harder. It's never going to happen that way. You've got to figure out what's the number one thing that you can practice that is going to take you in that direction. Now, usually when I am practicing, the number one thing that I always do, that I always say to my students, have you done shifting accents? <laughs> so the number one thing that I do um, first to get um, this kind of uh, all that kind of stuff is I'm going to do shifting accents and uh, uh, I've spoken about these in a much much earlier episode that I did with Andy and to give you an idea that would be like uh, first of all we do shifting accents in two and it's sort of very very loud very very quiet one two one two one two one two one and so on and so on then I go around to doing it the other way which is then you start with the two you go to and you start with the same note to one to one to one to one to one and then you do it in threes one two three one two three one two three one then you do three starting on three three one two three one two three one two then you do it with the three starting on the two two three one two three one two three one two three then you do it in fours one two three four one two three four one that's the most boring then you do it in four starting on the four four one two three four one two three four one two three now most people find that once they've done all that it's just suddenly much much more under the fingers um, um, and you could do the same thing with the left hand so you could go one two one two one two one and then swap that to one two one two one two and then in threes one two three one two three now I find that once I've done all that, I'm much, much closer to my goal of... Now, another thing that you can do is build this up slowly. So a lot of people, what they try and do is they just try and play the whole thing. So, you know... 
and then they get impatient and just try and speed it up. And I'm deliberately making it sound uneven, uh, you know, which is how a lot of students would sound, rather than... But it's the kind of piece, and you know, opinion can be really divided about this, with this kind of fast... Um, It's the kind of piece where slow practice very often actually won't give you very many results. Um, trying to go from slow to fast uh, can be a giant, giant brick wall. So what I would recommend with something like this is try and play it fast right from the beginning, um, even before you've learned the notes. Um, although it'll help if you've already done the shifting accents in both hands. Now what you can do is you can play the first note very, very quickly. There it is. I've played it really fast. Um, actually, I can hold on to the left note. Um, yeah, I can still hold on to all the notes. Right, that's me playing it super, super fast. So in other words, if I'm playing this fast, and then I'm just going to play the first note, that's it. I've played the first note really, really fast. Then I can add the second note. And then I can add the third with the left hand. Now, at this stage, you don't have to just keep stuck in a very unmusical way where everything is effort, just going... But you can already by now go, okay, what would it feel like if this was like magic and it all just flowed from my fingers absolutely effortlessly? And now let me, what do I need to do to make the, this very first quaver, um, well, the first two quavers um, there, um, what can I do to make that utterly effortless? Because really that isn't difficult. Although to, to uh, make it, um, um, it says here delicately. Um, so, and we can experiment with this. What, how, how do, um, what is it, what's it going to feel like to my body when I can play these notes just absolutely effortlessly and fluidly, but it, but it feels delicate and I'm already feeling all the emotion. I'm already imagining that it's going to go on to all that other stuff, but... And then um, I'm already noticing that I'm noticing what my wrist feels like. And I know that what a lot of my students are going to do when they're learning something like this, their right wrist is going to already have clenched and become very tense because that's what happens when we are in a mental state of striving, effort, impatience, achievement, um, narrow focus, and all the stuff I've been talking about in previous episodes. Now, for me to play these three notes in the right hand... The wrist actually needs to be really, really relaxed. And the wrist only really relaxes when we imagine what it would feel like for everything to be effortless. And a lot of the time, if we try to be effortless, that is effort in being effortless. It's like trying to not try. So you really do just want to spend a bit of time. Don't just let your left brain go, yeah, 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 blah, 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 and then just impatiently get on with it. Take a deep breath, stop, close your eyes, and really imagine what it would feel like if you were utterly relaxed. Like, um, for me, the most relaxed I can imagine being is to be, um, is to have spent two weeks on a beach in Bali. And that is just the most amazing, relaxed, chilled out feeling. So just, and, and this is something we can practice. We can practice cultivating how we find that place of deep relaxation that we have when we've been on a particularly good holiday, somewhere really relaxing. So imagine, you know, you're by the beach, you, you don't have a care in the world. Someone clicks their fingers, casts a magic spell, and you can go... Mm -hmm. 
And you want to feel in your body what your body is going to feel like when you're relaxed. Because if you're not feeling your body, it's your left brain going into a narrow focus, going, how do I do this? How do I do this? You don't want to be worrying about how you do this. You just relax and you explore, you explore it. Um, and also, look for what there is to love. You are always looking for what there is to love, like which we did last session. So as I do this, you're looking how... How much can I deeply love these initial notes? And, and it just goes without saying. It goes without saying that everything you do, you always have to be looking for what there is to love. And if you're not doing that, everything is much harder. And then let me add the next note. And then what I could do is I could loop that. And uh, hopefully you get the impression as I'm doing that, that it is it feels effortless. It feels like magic. Um, now I can slow it down, make sure it's even. Now, if I'm doing this fast and it isn't right, the left hand isn't lining up with the right, then you can stop and go, okay, something is stopping me. Something here is stopping me from having this goal of it's just effortless and, and there's a problem here. So you, so you might then need to work out how do I make these line up? So then you might want to just play and then... And then something that I realized is, is that for me to make sure that those are really even, I can't do it if I'm focusing too hard in a left brain state on trying to make them even. What I have to do is just feel my fingers, feel my wrists and listen. And if there's unevenness, I can hear the unevenness and I can tune into what the sensation is in my hands and I can allow my hands to balance themselves to something that then feels more even and fluid. It's not me striving and gripping and grasping and trying really hard to make it sound even. That actually will not make it sound more even. That'll make it sound less even. Let me actually try and demonstrate what it's like if I try really hard and play it super fast and try to make it even and worry about how even it is. So that's me in quite a tight, narrow focus, genuinely trying very, very hard to make those even. And not only is it less even than it was before, but I don't have a nice tone and I'm not loving it and I'm not enjoying it. So compare that with this where I'm just going to play it. And I know you guys are listening. I'm going to try to not care about what you might judge about it and just trust that if I do it enough times and listen and relax that, and be aware of the sensations in my fingers and hands uh, and wrists, that they will, they will find that evenness. Say, so now I'm worrying about how even they are. <laughs> it's so hard to let go of that. Yeah, that's it. Because there is something to love when, it, when, it, when, it's, really, when it's really even. It, is, it has a lovable quality. And the more you focus on how lovable that quality is, the more your hands and wrists are just going to find how to do that. Um, this is something that I am so 
constantly nagging my students about because I see that they have so much talent, they have so much ability to do things that are technically really difficult, but they create extra difficulties by believing that the answer is in mental striving. Now, you know, don't get me wrong. And, um, you know, I do want to make it really, really clear that all the lessons that I have with my students are not just woo-woo, uh, psychological, just trust, just just imagine, just do that. No, there's there's very, very solid technical, narrow-focused, detail-orientated, analytical stuff. Um, so, you know, if I had a student here and, and, and they were struggling um, with elements of that, I might spend some time looking at how they move their fingers, which joints of their fingers that they're moving. Are they moving the, the joints from the metacarpal or the distal joints? What does the wrist look like? Um, how are they sat? Um, what's the posture? Um, and maybe doing finger exercises and all this kind of stuff. So do not get me wrong. I'm not, you know, there is a balance to all of these things. And I'm not saying that you only use psychology for all of this. And so, yeah, um, uh, and, you know, uh, if you're interested in having lessons with me, please do get in touch. Uh, you can contact me through the heartofthepiano.com uh, website, uh, through the podcast. Um, but yeah, yeah, to be very, very clear, I do teach all of the technical stuff as well. Now, the problem is that most um, adult um, uh, amateur pianists in particular, they find teachers, they learn all of the technical stuff, but what they don't have is all this other stuff that I'm giving you, which needs to balance all of the technical stuff. Um, so anyway, um, back to here. Uh, so... Some people may need additional technical help in how to do that. What I might notice is that they, some people might have physical habits in their fingers that are also stopping that from happening. So sometimes you need a balance of analytic technique and the psychology. But in my opinion, this psychology stuff, almost all adult amateur pianists need quite a lot of it. And, and uh, uh, hopefully I'm giving stuff here that I think is quite difficult for, to, to find in other places. Um, I like to think that I'm systemizing a lot of stuff that other people haven't systemized. Anyway, so to continue, then we can continue to the next uh, note, which is here. So we're still looking for what there is to love. And we're exploring, and, and, and my left hand is, uh, you know, you won't be able to see this, but there's a fluidity to how my left, uh, left arm is moving to get those notes. And also, I'm not sat here just totally rigid, um, because I don't think I would be sat here rigid. If, I was, if someone cast a magic spell, and suddenly my fingers just went everywhere, and it felt fluid and effortless and easy, you know, imagine that, that you, are, you are inhabiting the body of someone who plays... Now, would you really just sit there rigid, rigid like a rock, just nothing moving, nothing yielding? Or wouldn't you, don't you feel that your body would just naturally be moving around? Because hopefully you would be enjoying, you'd be enjoying like, oh my God, oh my God, look, 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 look at what my body's doing. Um, uh, that, uh, that, that's all totally wrong, but... Um, you know, imagine just how pleasurable, imagine how beautiful that feels to your body just to, just for that to flow out of you. You are not going to be sat there not moving. You will be moving and enjoying it. 
Um, so this is why it's really important to deeply, deeply imagine, like a child, with a child's imagination, that you really can do this. And you're not just going to sit there rigid, just worrying about how your fingers are moving. You're, you're, you're going to be deeply, deeply moving your body around as, as you do this. So as opposed to, let me come back to the beginning and remind you what, how most of my adult uh, students uh, um, would be doing this, which would be like... And there is no point starting that way. There is no point. It's much better just to go um, and then... And then you don't have to continue. Then we can just uh, go from the spot that we got to, got to, which was there, and then just go... That's quite tricky because the right hand goes 2-5-4, which is quite tricky. So what a lot of people will do is they will just stubbornly keep trying to move their fingers. Um, but actually, when I play this, to, to get that 5-4, to four, it helps if I move my wrist. Now, obviously, I, you know, I can't show you that. But um, when you are learning a piece, you all the time want to be exploring, not just moving your fingers, um, or even just like moving parts of your fingers, but moving which joints of your fingers, um, which, uh, how do you move your wrist? How do you move your arms? Now, a lot of the time, when people are stuck in this kind of way of learning, there is zero awareness of what anything in the body feels like. Your fingers, your, your hand, your wrist. So, by the way, you know, this is really touching on that, what was like the masterclass that I did with Cheryl, uh, which was episode three on brain lateralization. And that's really worth watching because Cheryl starts learning in, in the kind of way that would be the equivalent of... And then I spend some time talking about the brain hemispheres and how we can use the understanding of the brain hemispheres to move away from... towards something that sounds more like... like right from the beginning, which most people go, but, but I wouldn't be able to do that. And, you know, listen to that episode and you'll see how to do that. And then, um, you know, this is an extra thing over and above the understanding of the brain hemispheres, which is really, this is another tool in how to get into a right hemisphere state. The left hemisphere is all about oh my God, it's effort, I have to work. It has a Protestant work ethic. It's like, right, I have to be really virtuous and, and, and work hard. Uh, and, and it really believes that, that the harder you feel like you're working, the quicker you're going to learn it. And that is just simply not true. You have to work out the lazy way of doing this. And I don't mean lazy as in half asleep. I mean the least amount of effort to get the result that you want. Which to me is, is like a, you know, a, a good version of lazy. So um, I, I could go on for ages, but I think I've probably explained enough. And, uh, you know, if you have any questions about this, do leave uh, comments uh, on whatever platform you use to listen to podcasts, whether that's Apple uh, or um, if you listen to this podcast somewhere where you can't leave comments, do send me an email uh, or you can use the contact form on my website, heartofthepiano.com. Uh, there will be some show notes. The show notes, again, are on uh, heartofthepiano.com. And um, please do support the channel in every way that you can. So uh, uh, if your uh, platform of choice allows you to like, uh, please do like this episode, like the podcast, subscribe, all the usual stuff. Uh, and thanks very much for tuning in. And please do tune into the next one where I will look at uh, another one of my uh, Bob's commandments, 
Witcher thinks that if you do these every single time that you're practicing, you will see really, really astonishingly rapid advancement in a way that you just didn't think was possible. When my students actually do these things, and a lot of the time, you know, my students, they, they hear me say all these things, they know all the words that I'm saying, and then the next week I go, so, did you look for what there was to love? Did you every moment sort of stop and just imagine what it would feel like if someone uh, cast a magic spell and suddenly you could do it? And they were like, oh, no. And so, you know, these are the kinds of things that knowing them isn't enough. You have to practice them you you know it's it's not about intellectual understanding it's about doing it's intensely practical so anyway thank you very much for tuning and i will see you at the next one thank you very much goodbye